Hello, and welcome to PhD Paranormal. We're a pair of giddy and normal PhDs. Are talking about spooky paranormal things. Spooky, scary, scary. I'm Dr. Edwin. I'm Dr. Evan. And we're your hosts on this wonderful Take Two adventure. Yes, so uh, a intrepid listener let us know last week that uh, last week's recording was fudged up. Rubbish, trash, garbage. I sounded like, we both sounded like we were um, like reverbing and blitzing and doing all sorts of strange things. Clipping is the appropriate technology term. I looked it up. Well, whatever it was, it was messed up. It was bad. It was very bad. And it was the one time that we had not tested the sound. Yes, because we're always very good. We always do a little sample test. And uh, we did not because we were overly confident. We were hoisted by our own petard, struck down by wanton hubris. Basically, we needed a new cord (laughs) is the real answer to what happened. Yes. Well, yes. I think there's lots of stories there. But we have lots of things to talk about. So we are once again going to be talking about um, something spooky, creepy. A different kind of spooky. Different kind of spooky. But before we get there. Yes. So, Dr. Ed, yes. last week when we re- originally recorded this... Time after time. If you're lost, you can look. <laughs> no one wants to hear me sing. Um, you were telling me that you had had some potentially spooky experiences with a couple of friends who are not me. <laughs> yes. Actually, I really don't care. Friends. Um, <laughs> he went to a place we've been to before. Yes. So, why don't you tell us about that? So, um, a few weeks ago now, a couple of friends... Of ours, and I went to Atchison, Kansas. Atchison is reportedly the most haunted town west of the Mississippi, if not at least the most haunted town in Kansas, or at least the most haunted town with the name of Atchison, however you want to sort of parse that out. And for listeners, we have talked about Atchison before, our very first episode where we talked about the Sally House. Ooh, spooky Sally. Was in Atchison. Yes, yes. And um, we did not go to the Sally House because, of course, the Sally House um, is usually very busy on the weekends. I'm presuming this is why they don't do individual, let you in for individual tours on the weekends. You can only book Monday through Friday. So this was a Saturday gig. So we decided to visit, or for me, revisit a place called McIntyre Villa. And this was a place that when Dr. Ed and I took our students... Yes. Uh, on our trip, when we went to the Sally House, we also went to the McIntyre Villa. Yes. In which I experienced no spookiness other than exhaustion. The spookiness of exhaustion. I was so tired. Yes. So those early mornings of 8 a.m. Get you well, then riding time. a bus, and then we were, we had gone to the Sally House. We had eaten a lunch that took nine and a half hours, <laughs> and then we went for a... It was a, very, very European, <laughs> continental. God, it took forever. And then we went for a haunted tour that was more like a how fast can you walk as a man screams into a microphone. Which didn't work half the time. No. It was awful. The tour was awful. But we ended up at McIntyre Villa. McIntyre Villa was built in like 1889 or something like that. It was built by this guy who was um, by the name of McIntyre. He was an Irish immigrant. Um, He was well-respected, but... Never fully respected because he was Irish, as those things happened back in the old days. But he built this magnificent house for $16,000, which would be in the easily millions now, this massive, massive villa. It's very pretty. And there have been several reported deaths in this villa, like nine or so. One was a city employee who was actually found dead in a walk- in a walking chair. In a rocking chair. I thought you were going to say a Walkman. In a Walkman. No. <laughs> and no. you hit play and he comes out. Hello! <laughs> the 80s are dead. <laughs> um, uh, was found dead in a rocking chair. So we went to check it out. And one of my friends, she is very kind of spooked out by this stuff. Her little dog actually used to stand in her hallway and like stare down the hallway and like grrr and growl and bark. So I always joke that she had a demon in her house. She did not appreciate that humor very much. Um, but that's the curse of being my friend, I suppose. But long story short, way too late, we toured the McIntyre Villa. And it was the same woman who had purchased it. This is a house that is clearly purchased only for the purposes of ghost tourism. When we had gone previously, they had suggested that they were going to live there, but I don't think that was really ever in their true plan. No, she has said that she does not live there. She does not want to live there. Now, of course, she's saying she does not want to live here because of spooky things that happen. 
I don't believe that is true at all because if they had planned to live there, they wouldn't have it all fixed up as a spooky staged house. Yeah. But anyway, we went through all the various rooms, but there are two places that um, we went where we had actual some types of experiences. So one of the places we got to go, which uh, Dr. Evan and I did not get to go, was in the basement. So when we went, the basement wasn't open yet. They hadn't opened it up. But it was open now, and when you went down into the basement, there was a climate change. It was definitely more oppressive feeling, um, a little more sultry, a little thicker in terms of the air. And it was staged in that they had all sorts of creepy dolls and little chairs and things like that. And they had, in one of the rooms, for example, they had a balloon just kind of sitting on the floor, so you could maybe try to get a spirit to move the balloon and then, of course, they relied heavily on these little um, flashing balls, which are like cat toys. Which um, Dr. Dom and Nicole talked about those in their interview that we did right, with them. Right, right. And basically, they're motion-sensitive or engagement things. Like, if they get moved, they will flash, right? And so I was down in the basement by myself. Um, my two friends were in a different room. And I walked into this room and I had my um, Ghost Hunter app open with its EVP recorder, which I think is just a random word generator because I'm not sure how many ghosts say the word microwave, but there you go. And I did get a name and the name was Maud. And so I walked over to where there was a little flashing ball in the crotch of a small creepy doll that was sitting in this teeny tiny rocking chair. And I said, okay, is there a mod in this room? Is there a mod in this room? Hello, mod. And no, as if I'm going to rip off the joke from last time, it was not B. Arthur <laughs> who showed up. Um, but the little ball actually did start to flash when I said oh. mod. And my friends came into the room, and we did do some interactions with them. Um, with that, we kept asking mod questions, and we would get actual what seemed to be responses. Now, obviously, this isn't saying words, but... We would say things like, if you want us to leave this room, flash the lights. Oh, okay. And it would flash, right? Um, if you want us to stay in this room, um, you know, flash the lights. And it would not flash the lights. Things like that. And we did the normal tests in that we kind of jumped around. We moved around. You know, it would activate mostly when I spoke, um, not when anyone else spoke. And um, if I jumped up and down near the chair, it didn't turn on. If I moved my hands in front of the thing, it didn't turn on. So it didn't seem to be activated by my motions. Now, it may have been the beautiful melonious timbre of my voice. Is that a word? Your timbre? My timbre. But um, I don't know. So anyway, that was very interesting. And then we had went upstairs into the attic where uh, Dr. Evan and I had been before with the students. And the attic is one of these big kind of open space attics. Is that how you describe it? Yeah, and it, it just has the, it's where the pitch is of the roof. So it, it's, you know, like the middle part is very tall, but over to the sides it gets shorter. shorter. Um, and it's nice. It's just wide open. Right. It's wide open. And they have a bunch of stuff up there. They basically storage, use it yeah. for storage. Um, they do have furniture up there that you can sit in. So. And they have windows. They have, like, essentially skylights. So yeah. you can – it's actually really – like, I sat up there for a while half asleep just, like, looking out a window. Yeah. Like, in a chair. It was really, yeah, comfortable. And so we were up there, and we were just standing in one place having a conversation. Because um, we walked in, and they had this – what looked to be, like, a body wrapped up and suspended from the ceiling, like, in a – like in a corpse uh, wrap, whatever it is. Oh, okay, yeah. But not like mummify, but just like a body <laughs> wrapped up. And um, uh, I don't even know how we were talking about it, but uh, my friend Sandy, who was there, mentioned like her grandma. And we were just literally just standing there. And then off to the side, um, we heard what sounded like something slide across the floor. So it wasn't like an animal scurry, like shush. It was like something dragged across the floor and I was like did you hear that and they were like that was really weird and we didn't think anything of it we stayed there and we just kind of were still talking again we didn't move from that spot and then we heard it again um, the same kind of drag Mm -hmm. in the same place and so we walked over there and we didn't see anything right we didn't see anything that looked out of place or anything but something had moved now it could have been 
just the sounds of plastic or it could have been a breeze, but it was pretty stale air, air up there. It didn't circulate a lot. It's not like there were winds blowing through. So I don't think the heat or the air is up there. No. So that was an interesting and kind of spooky experience. Now, again, is it explainable? Probably. And it is my hopes to post the picture of the little flashing ball. I have a little video of the flashing ball doll. And I'll post some of the photos from McIntyre up on our website again. I think we did it before on Facebook, but I'll make sure and do that again. So that was my creepy experience. Maybe Maud will be the new Annabelle. Maybe. That would be a nice a nice story. Maud. 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 <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't have the same ring of Annabelle. Well, I know, but Maud could be just as terrifying. Or that new, I don't know if you've seen the previews, there's a new uh, movie coming out called Megan. Mm-mm. And it's basically about a murderous doll. Oh, I thought it was about Megan Markle. No. Oh, good. I'm not a fan. <sighs> We're not getting into that. But <laughs> Megan with a three as the E. Um, it's like a, a doll. And then what was making me laugh is that Megan and Chucky were both on Twitter oh. having a Twitter war. Oh, okay. About murderous dolls. Chucky would win. Uh, not based on these previews. Oh, really? <laughs> um, she is murderous. She dances. And she knows, like, um, martial arts. Well, yeah, but Chucky knows how to wield a knife. So did she. <laughs> so did she. Well, I want to see the movie then. And then um, <laughs> for our listeners, for those of you who are interested, just And me very, too, because he has new stories that I haven't heard. Very, very quick demon update. So, again, I do believe that this demon continues to um, oppress my life. I don't believe I have an infestation yet or possession, but I do believe I'm subject to demonic... Oppression, where basically the demon is trying to make my life miserable, and they're doing a grand job of it. So one simple example is, of course, I came in a few weeks ago, and we use um, technology to record some of our lectures, and a whole bunch of my lectures had been deleted from my Canvas pages, my learning platforms, which was very strange. The demon is like, you shall not know political science. Exactly. Um, Obviously, I'm continuing to accrue the corpses of flies, in my area. I swept them all up just the other day, but you can see them in the light. Um, you know, the lights, which is delightful. <laughs> Don't go into the lights, um, My scratch on my arm is healing, but that scratch was actually pretty severe. I don't know if we talked about it before. We that. have talked about it. I don't know if it was talked about for the first time in the re-record. No, no, no. Okay. It's been healing. So we okay. talked about it before. I don't know if we talked about my weird rash that appeared. No. So um, uh, the demon, which apparently is a fest- infesting in part of this office, um, uh, attacked Dr. Well, Evan. I don't think I'd phrase it that way. Um, but I came in and all of a sudden I felt like a itchy burn, like like you have a rash. And I looked down and there was a rash on my arm. Um, and it, it stick, stuck around for probably four or five days. It's gone now. Um, but it stuck around for a little while. Yeah. So, again, another sign. Then, of course, um, I blame the demon for our technology problems last week. Um, even though apparently it was a broken cable. The cable hadn't been broken before and suddenly it breaks now. Um, so that is suspicious demon. Don't think I don't know what you're doing. And then the latest demon story just today. So as you all know, listeners, we love to drink Diet Mountain Dew for mm-hmm. these recordings because it gets all, us all hopped up. And so Dr. Evan came in and what were your explicit instructions? Do not choose the second. So on the vending machine, it's Mountain Dew, like the buttons, Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew, Diet Dew, Diet Dew. And I hit the second diet do, and I got a regular do. Not the end of the world. Right. But I said, don't hit the second do, because you might get a regular do. So I went down to purchase my diet do. So Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew, Diet Do, Diet Do. And I told you to choose the first. Were you snarky down there? Were you sassy? Did you choose the second do? So, no. Okay. Well, I put in my $2 cash, because they never take our cards. It took my card today, so. It didn't take my card. Yeah. So, Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew, on your advice, Diet Mountain Dew. Sold out. Oh, no. And so I'm like, well, Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew, Diet Mountain Dew, Diet Mountain Dew. Hit the second Diet Mountain Dew button, the one that gave you a regular Dew. You got a Diet Dew? I got a Diet Dew. I think that more goes to the... To the demon... Well, to the gentleman who fills up the 
um, vending machines and has a hard job and probably just accidentally got a Mountain Dew. Or may have been possessed briefly by a demon who foresaw all these things I happening. Like, I feel like demons have more important things to do. Oh, oh, I don't. I mean, what else are they going to do with their days, right? They're not Calvin and Hobbes. Their days are not just packed. They just uh, kind of lay about watching TV, right? Yeah. Yes. And speaking of watching, and then we'll move on to our subject matter. Um, I did finish The Watcher. Ugh. It is, the letters are creepy, but the show is terrible. Although had, one of our one of our patrons actually found the show very scary. I did not enjoy the show. I thought the show was poorly acted. And I like the people in the show. So I had told Dr. Ed not to watch it. And of course, he doesn't listen to me and just watches it. Um, and agreed with my assessment that it's not good. But yeah, the story of The Watcher is a creepy story. Yes. Um, but it did not need as many episodes as they had. It would have been a creepy good movie. Yes. But yeah, like Bobby Cannavale, like there's a scene where they're in this house. They're taking a tour of a house and they see a dumb waiter and Mia Farrow. A, a, a dumb waiter being the things that haul stuff up, not a dumb waiter. Like it's a stupid server. I know. Just cla- I'm clarifying. <sighs> Bobby Cannavale. <laughs> because then Mia Farrow was talking about how this dumb waiter was on the National Register, blah, blah, blah. And so Bobby Cannavale asks his son to look up what is a dumbwaiter, but he says it this way. He was like, son, please Google on your phone, what is a dumbwaiter? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not quite that stilted, but bad. Yes. He's got like Margot Martindale, who I love. She's a good villain. Jennifer Coolidge. Yes. Yes, who's Stifler's amazing. mom. Yes. So it was, you know, I mean, the letters are creepy. The story is creepy. And if you don't know the story, actually go look up the story, because the yes. story itself is creepy and interesting. Yeah, and read the letters, because the letters are creepy. Yeah, but the show is no bueno. Yes. All right, so that is the demon update. That is the watcher update. We're always watching you. We're not, but... I always feel like somebody's watching me. And I have no privacy. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, this was my lazy week where um, I turned over all the research to Dr. Evan to talk about something that was a listener request, if I remember correctly. Yes, and it was the listener who requested it who realized that the recording was all messed oh, up. Oh, rubbish. So Why we, do good things happen? Bad things happen to good people. I don't know. But um, this person also currently is suffering with COVID. So, oh, dear. Um, fully vaxxed, boosted. I Probably blame, gonna, it's going to be fine, but... I blame my demon. Oh, I don't think so. Well, they were in a state that is near and dear to your heart. But anyway, um, today we are talking about something known as the Philadelphia Experiment. So it has to do with cream cheese. Yes. Okay. I love cream cheese. <laughs> I do, too. I had cream cheese last night. It is delicious. I had a blueberry bagel with strawberry cream cheese. Delicious. Do you ever just eat cream cheese? Like cut it off the cube? No. It is amazing. Dr. Ed. It is so good. Ew. <laughs> it's like eating butter. I also eat, I also, I also used to eat cold condensed cream of mushroom soup. <laughs> right out of the can, so. <laughs> Dr. Ed, no. Back when I was a child, I did silly things. Wait, did you need a salt lick? Is that why you ate it? <laughs> I do need salt lick. <laughs> I just walk into Dr. Ed's. He just has salt licks throughout his house. That's by the bed. I just lay there. <laughs> He's miming looking a salt lick. Anyway. <laughs> well, Ralphie probably would eat a salt lick. Yes. yes. Okay. So, Dr. Ed. Yes. The question I offer to you, which you gave a great answer to last week, but we're going to ask it again, is this deals with something different than what we've covered before. Okay. And this has to deal with aliens, okay. potentially. Yes. And alien technology. Yes. So my question to you is, do you believe in aliens? Yes. Why? (laughs) Thank you. Um, I believe in aliens because I believe in math, and I believe that given the sheer expansive size of the universe and all the things that we don't know and all the things that we have yet to explore or discover, it is mathematically highly improbable that we are the only form of sentient, quote, intelligent life out there. Do you believe that aliens have visited? Yes. Why? Um, Because there are plenty of recordings of things where people have witnessed um, uh, items in the sky, for example, strange lights, um, had visitations, again, stories of alien abductions, memory loss, things like that. And I think that there are probably too many of them 
that have been experienced by a major number of people at the same time that have yet to be adequately explained. And of course, we know now the government is acknowledging that there have been encounters with things that they don't know what they are. Now, they're not calling them aliens, right? What is the new term? We talked about it. I don't remember Yeah, now. it's not UFO. It's not unidentified flying object. It's like it's an unidentified. air phenomena or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, new term. <laughs> unidentified aerial phenomenon. I think they're UAPs. UAPs, uh-huh. Unidentified aerial phenomena. Yep. And so I think that, again, in the old days, it used to be, oh, it's a weather balloon. Oh, it's this. Well, we're getting to a point now where our stuff is... Um, our technologies are sensitive enough and smart enough to know that maybe it's not those things. Uh, I will post post this on the website. I, I found this last time. I haven't gotten around to posting it yet. But there's an, an ArcGIS site that shows all the s- reported spottings of UFOs in North America and the United States, which is actually a very interesting sort of graphic. Um, what did you recall? Because we were debating this last time where I thought there were probably a lot in the southwest, in the um, west I think it is actually very widely dispersed across the country, okay, if I cool. remember what the map is. Because I think you also thought it was more prevalent more in the south. Because I'm thinking swamp gas. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, former President Carter saw a UFO, was reported seeing a UFO. And I was thinking the southwest because it's so open. Right. And in the United States, one of the certain chunks of the southwest and the west is... Um, underpopulated right. in comparison to like the Northeast, for right. example. So that would be a place if the government was testing things, et cetera, that that would be where they test stuff. Right. And then I also think that we are probably seeing perhaps getting more reported incidents. And of course, I don't know if the historical record supports that anecdotal observation, but I do believe it's only within the last 50 to 60 years that our planet has become interesting in that we are sending stuff out into space. We have stuff kind of littering our orbit, right? That might attract the attention of other sentient species. Um, So I think that that there's enough stuff to suggest that, yeah, maybe there's something out there. Obviously there's area, what's it, area 57? I always say 51. 51, I know. Area 51, yeah, oh wait, area 54, what is it? Oh, no. Heinz 57. It's 51. Okay. Heinz 57 sauce. I started freaking out that I was going to be like, it's Area 51. And it was going to be like Area 54. Technically. (laughs) No, it's going to, people are going to make fun of me. So, uh, but anyway, yes, that is my position. Um, I'm actually a much more confident believer in aliens and alien technology than I am in the supernatural. Although I think supernatural scares me more than aliens do. Oh, really? Yeah, because I believe that if aliens are sentient, you can negotiate with them. Well, that would assume that we can speak to them. Well, I speak the language of universal love. <laughs> Dr. Ed has lost his mind. <laughs> well, listeners, you might be interested to know that this is an area in which I am not a 100% skeptic. Ooh. I do believe that aliens exist. Very nice. Um, have I ever seen one? No. Do I think they've come visit? No. Maybe that's what was scratching outside your door. I don't think it was an alien. We don't know. It's Richard Dreyfus, like <laughs> making his meat or his meat potato. My gosh, his mashed potato mountain. <laughs> what is that mountain called? The Devil's Devil's what? Tower. Devil's Tower. <laughs> we are. We come at you. Friends with um, all the really relevant pop culture. Yes. Um, references. All, all of you are like clearly close encounters <laughs> of the third kind, but whatever. All right. So you are not a skeptic. Not a skeptic about the existence of aliens because also, I, I'm like you, the universe, as far as we know right now, is infinite. Yes. And if it's infinite, it would strike me as hubris to the extreme to imagine that we are the only sentient, intelligent, however phrase you want to use, beings in the universe. Right. But I don't think that they are coming to rock into our world. Maybe they're here to talk to the whales. That's I mean, I good, would talk to a whale. That's a good Star Trek for reference. I would talk to a whale. Um, just grab your towel and we'll be good. Um, that is a uh, hitchhiker's guide okay, joke. Gotcha, gotcha. You see your towel. Gotcha. You're good to go. But... What we're talking about today is the Philadelphia Experiment, which is an alleged, I want to say it once, friends, because I listened to an old podcast and I was tired of how many times I said the word alleged or allegedly. Now you've said it three times. I know, but we're okay. 
So this is a supposed. <laughs> Ooh, good save. Oh my God. We're off the rails already, <laughs> friends. Um, a supposed experiment that took place in 1943. Okay. Um, but what I want to say is that aside from what ancient aliens would tell you, UFO sightings and a discussion of alien races like coming to um, planet Earth is relatively new. It's not something that we see a lot of discussion about. Except for the fact that the aliens built the pyramids, yes. They didn't build the freaking pyramids. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying, it was a weird... Uh, apparently, aliens must have been racist because it's only people of color's achievements that aliens allegedly did and not, like, white people's, which is a whole Evan um, rage point. Okay. Um, anyway... It's a relatively new phenomena. And what we see is that we really see an uptick in discussion of aliens and UFOs during World War II and into the Cold War. Right. So, for example, it is doing it is during World War II that in both the Pacific and European theaters of the war, that American, mostly American, but a few European um, fighter pilots noted seeing things that they couldn't explain in the sky, which they called Foo Fighters, which I remember last week um, Dr. Ed had not known that the that, that Foo Fighter was an actual term. Yeah, they, that, fight, they fight Foo. <sighs> Although Foo was a term that we used in high school to describe women with overly permed hair. Um, they were Foos. We had a friend that we referred to as Foodoo. She had a Foodoo. Well, apparently there was a whole thing where it came from a guy named Smokey Stover who had said, where there's food, there's fire, and it, it took off from there. Sure. I don't know. I'm just letting you know. Um, so that was during World War II. Um, some of the explanations at the time included St. Elmo's fire, which we'll actually talk about a little bit later. Could it be a man in motion? <sighs> That's a weather phenomenon where... Um, Essentially, how the light is filtered through various, like, fog or Mm -hmm. whatever creates, like, a corona-looking discharge, and it glows. Mm, Corona. No. See, this is what happens, listeners, when I don't do any work. I just sit here and comment. Drive Dr. (laughs) Evan crazy. In 1946, we had a lot more sightings. There were more than 2,000 collected primarily by the Swedish military of unidentified aerial objects over um, Scandinavian nations. Um, <clears throat> those objects were referred to as Russian hail or ghost rockets because oh. they thought that they were possibly um, Russian tests of some captured German uh, military tech. Um, but they don't really know. This is World War Two. Yeah. So well, 46, so it's okay. after. Like the, like the V2 rockets? or Yeah, V2 and V1. Okay. Um, and then... Where we really see the media frenzy, like, just grow exponentially is um, on June 24th, 1947, a civilian pilot named Kenneth Arnold reported seeing nine objects flying in a clear formation, according to him, near Mount Rainier. Okay. And at the time, he said that they looked like saucers. Like, that's the way that he described their shape, leading to... The term flying saucers or flying discs. Okay. Right. And after that point, we just have reports of flying saucer sightings becoming daily occurrences. Um, so this is tangentially related to that. In that I'm setting the stage for the fact that we have a lot of discussion about this new technology and the possibility of aliens, etc. In a war that was nicknamed a physicist's war. Right, World War II, because mm-hmm. of the atom bomb. Um, but also a time when Americans in particular are very fearful of the other. Yes. Right? And so this alleged, saying it one more time, this alleged experience, um, experiment was taking place in Philadelphia on October 28, 1943. Mm-hmm. And this deals with a ship called the USS Eldridge, All right. Which is a Canon-class destroyer escort ship. Excellent. A lot of words. Yes. I don't know what any of it means, except that there's a ship. 
Destroyer escorts were basically ships that were primarily designed to hunt for submarines. Oh, okay. Um, that's what the destroyer class was meant to do. They provided a perimeter around convoys and other ships. Um, nice. Fun facts. I'm, I Hey, it's a great fact. Now, we have information about this. Yes. Because a gentleman named Morris Jessup. Love him, Morris. Who wrote a book called The Case for the UFO. Love people who write books. He wrote this in 1955. Okay. And he started receiving letters. And he was receiving letters from a person. The Watcher. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) It could be. Who called himself Carlos Allende. Carlos Allende. Mm -hmm. Write that down, listeners. It's important. Yes. And this is where my Spanish doesn't um, come through. I think it's Allende. It's A-L-L-E-N-D-E. Allende. No. 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 I think it's Allende. But... If I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, apologies, that is not his real name. Right. <laughs> so he is writing to Morris Jessup and saying that he knew about an experiment that took place on the ship called the USS Eldridge. And this alleged experiment, gosh dang it, I'm going to notice it every time. This experiment dealt with trying to make a ship invisible. Right. And this goes to... Physics, and physics is not my forte. Yes. But what this is all part of is, according to Allende, um, this was part of Einstein's desire to come up with a um, centralized field theory. Mm-hmm. Basically, to combine the other theories of physics with Einstein's theory on electromagnetism. And the idea was that invisibility, if you could make something invisible... Sorry, we got, there's a fly. (laughs) The demon fly. (laughs) There really was a fly that just flew by my head and it freaked me out a little. I'm not scared of flies. It was just (laughs) out of nowhere. Um, And I looked up for this for last week and now I can't find the same thing that I had from last week. That was basically MIT saying invisibility is technically possible. Right, because you had said it had to do with how light bends. Right. So how light, when it hits an object, it, it bends around that object so that you can see it. Right. And so in order for an object to become invisible, it has to cast no shadow, and then it has to do something else with how the light works. And the problem is that we live in a world in which light is everywhere. Right. So we don't really live in a, a world in which objects don't have light hitting them and bending. Now, there have been some experiments done recently, like the last 10 years or so, where they've made very small things invisible and where they have made people invisible to cameras. So it's not invisible to the naked eye, but it's invisible on cameras. Hmm. And like even if you're looking at it, you can see it, but the AI can't recognize that it's a person. But we've not come to a point where we can make something invisible. Yet. Sure. But according to this, we did it in 1943. So what happened is that this guy named Carlos Allende was on a ship called the SS Andrew Furaseth as a deckhand. So he is in Philadelphia. The USS Eldridge is in Philadelphia. Yes. And he reported that while he was there, he started to hear a weird hum. Hum. And it was like he described it as that electrical hum. Hum. Not like his meditation over there, <laughs> but like an electrical hum. And we all know it. Can... Sorry. I'm going to throw stuff at him, friends. Um, but you know what that electrical hum sounds like. Because yeah. when like the power goes out, you can tell its absence. Right. But he started to hear it, and he started to see the ship glow. And then it disappeared. Poof. Yeah. I don't think it made a sound, but who knows? Everything that disappears makes a sound. Wait, I don't necessarily hold that. I believe that is true. Well, it was then spotted materializing out of thin air over 200 miles away at the Norfolk Naval Shipyard in Virginia. Wabang. And then it reappeared in Philadelphia. Wabang, wabang. So, it basically disappeared. Makes a sound. Back in er, in Virginia. Goes back to Philadelphia. Reappears. Okay. So, in this case, it didn't really make it invisible. It just made it move. It teleported. It teleported. And Allende said that he saw that happen. He didn't see it, obviously, in Norfolk, but that he had heard reports of the ship randomly appearing in Norfolk and then being back in Philadelphia. 
And according to these letters, Allende said that um, when the Eldridge rematerialized in Philadelphia, that the ship's crew reported all kinds of really negative side effects. That um, some were just dealing with like nausea and headaches. Some were dealing with pretty significant disorientation. Some, according to Ayende, were left with significant mental illness. He said insanity, but I don't like that term. Um, others were left with third-degree burns. And others were left with, like, mysterious illnesses, right? Various sicknesses that they couldn't figure out what caused them. Okay. And so, according to Ayende, he wanted Jessup to basically explore this experiment. Okay. Well, Jessup was a scientist. Um, he had his master's in physics, and he was going for a PhD. He stopped doing that. Um, he was a carbs part salesman, which is why he could spend his time um, dedicating himself to ufology. So he was one of the earliest ufologists. In the case for the UFO, I have not read it, obviously, um, but I did look it up and kind of read some descriptions. And in it, he doesn't really claim that UFOs have necessarily visited um, but he claims that the technology is theoretically possible. So in part of it, he's suggesting, like, well, we should look into this more and that UFOs could exist. But he doesn't, like, come right out and say, like, I've been visited by aliens. Right. And Jessup started looking into this, but he could find zero evidence for their claims because Allende also suggested that he had learned about the central or, you know, field grand field theory from Einstein himself, which, sure. sure. When did Einstein die? I don't know. That's a good question. You should you should Google that. I will Google that. You are the you are the Googler this episode. <laughs> Googler. Um, and so Jessup basically dropped the whole issue because he just thought it was someone who, you know, was ta- talking about tall tales. 1955. So 1955. It is, it is possible he talked to him. It's possible, but unlikely. Now, around the same time that Jessup had said, okay, I've read these letters. It's about a year later. He wasn't doing anything with them. That he received a notice from the U.S. Office of Naval Research, or the ONR, who had received an anonymous package labeled Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Inside was a copy of Jessup's book, but it was heavily annotated with what looked like three different handwritings. But some people have gone back to look, and they said it's one person. It looks to them like it's one person trying to have three different handwritings. Because there are certain things that are similar between all three. Mm-hmm. So, you know, grapholo- like that kind of graphology and reading of handwriting is a pseudoscience. But there's some people who say that it looked like one person trying to write in three handwritings. Um, each wrote in different shades of blue. Each referring to the other as gypsies, which is a little odd. Um, But the notes within related to UFOs. Um, They purported to have knowledge of alien life on Earth. And they also suggested that Jessup's unified field, or that Jessup's um, work suggested that the unified, I keep saying central, but the unified field theory was close to alien technology. That the only way we could achieve that is through alien tech. Okay. And in that, there were several discussions of the Philadelphia experiment. Okay. To which the ONR contacted Jessup, and they were like, what's the deal? He was like, I didn't write that. And I'm pretty sure that this comes from a guy named Carlos Allende, because he had written to me. For reasons that we do not understand, um, the ONR ended up publishing, at the time, 127 copies of the annotated Jessup book. Um, we still don't know why they're called the Vero printings because of the printing press right? Yeah. that they went with. Um, and it later came out around 1969 that who sent this to Jessup and who sent this package to the ONR was a guy named Carl Allen. Coincidence? That is, he went by Carlos Allende? Yeah. Well, yeah, because he made himself a pseudonym. Yes. That was basically his name. Yes. I was trying to be clever. Okay. 
Hashtag fail. <laughs> and according to Alan, he had originally written this quote to scare the hell out of Jessup and to deter him from continuing to investigate the unified field theory, which Alan said was dangerous. Could be. He later retracted this admission and said, I didn't write any of that, and that wasn't me. Lies. So, I don't know. Um, we don't know a ton about Carl Allen until a journalist named Robert German wrote about him in 1980. And he was interviewing um, some family friends and members of the family who described Carl Allen as, quote, a creative and imaginative loner. And they also described how Allen had a history of mental illness and had a history of paranoia and a history of um, thinking he heard voices, etc. Which we should not diagnose someone, but has some similar um, symptoms to things like schizophrenia. Yes, clearly um, he was unwell. I, from what we can find, yes. He was probably unwell. Now... Most people just assumed that this was fake because the only person who ever spoke of it was Carlos Allende through these letters to Jessup and to the ONR. And both the ONR and Jessup said this is fake. Like nothing that he's saying could have possibly happened. But in 1990, a gentleman named Al Bleakin came okay. forward to suggest that no, it wasn't fake. And that Allende was not wrong because he himself had been on the ship. Okay. So Bleakin claimed that he had been on the ship, the USS Eldridge, when it teleported. But according to Bleakin, it didn't teleport. Okay. It time traveled. Okay. Time slips. I like that. Um, Al Bielik, I said, I think, I think I said his name wrong, but Al Bielik... Um, was a, allegedly, and I'm saying this here because there's little evidence that he was there, um, a naval officer aboard the USS Eldridge. And according to Eldridge, Bielik and his brother were subject to some odd things happening on the ship. And they said this started in August okay. of 1943. All right. So just two months before um, Allende says that the ship moved. Banfubinged. Got it. And that they jumped to the year 2137. Wow. I know. It's a long time. It is. It's quite a jump. Right? And, of course, every time I say that, I think of Quantum Leap. Yes. Um, in 2037, or 2137, Belik was treated for radiation inju- injuries from his time travel through a highly advanced series of treatments relying on vibration and light. And the only thing that they had for entertainment was a television. That In, in 2137? Uh-huh. Okay. And the television played educational and news programming. There was no entertainment television. Okay. He also claimed that when he landed in 2137, that geographical shifts had transformed the globe, that the coastlines of every continent was different. Florida had disappeared except for the panhandle. That's not particularly sad. Yeah, having lived there, there's some good people there. There are but, good people in Florida. But, hmm. and he said that the Great Lakes were one Great Lake, and that Atlanta was only three miles from the Atlantic Ocean. So essentially, he doesn't say it this way, but the climate change had led to the rise of the oceans. Okay. He also said that the U.S.'s infrastructure had been destroyed, and that a central government was a thing of the past. And that Canada and the United States were gone and ruled over with a kind of locally enforced martial law. Okay. So that essentially we no longer had a government. And according to Bielik, um, part of why this is is because around 2005, the U.S. and Europe had banded together to fight off the combined threat of China and Russia. Hmm. And that the resulting war killed billions of people. Hmm. Because he said that when he landed, the population of the world was only about 300 million, and the population of the U.S. is almost 400 million. So, just, just to give us a sense right. of how many people that is. And essentially, we had destroyed all the world's governments. 
From there, then, Bielik said he was jumped forward again to 2749, where he stayed for two years before moving back to 2137 to grab his brother. Okay. So I should note that Bielik doesn't really explain fully how this happened. He just says it happened. Right. Because it sounds like he is jumping in time, but not the ship. Correct. But the way he describes it, it's the tech on the ship that led to these jumps. Okay. In 2749, he said that the world had adapted technology and that we lived on mobile floating cities, which actually sounds kind of fun. Um, The government of any kind was non-existent, and everything was run by artificial intelligence called the Synthetic Intelligence Computer System that worked telepathically. Ooh. So, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But according to him, there were no wars by 2749 because they were impossible. There's no military or soldiers, no mili- you know, like Navy or Air Force were run by AI, so like conflicts between countries was irrelevant. We didn't need money in 2749. Uh, everyone just had credits, which allowed them to quote unquote buy everything they wanted at any time. So to me, it kind of sounds like Star Trekian in that, you know, if we think of like the next generation, like there's no, like the machine can just make your food. So like there's no starvation or anything right. like that. Replicator. Replicator. Thank you. Um, Earl Grey. Hot. Hot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's never that aggressive. Oh, he is always that aggressive. No, he's not. Earl Grey. Hot. Uh, all right. So at this point, he sent back to 2137 to grab his brother. Whoosh. And then the duo are then transported back to 1984, where they met Dr. John von Neumann, who convinces the two men that they needed to travel back to their original time, 1943, and that they were to stop the Philadelphia experiment from ever happening. Okay. So the two men agreed, and they went back. Now, Bielik and his brother have gone back to 1943. And he... This is where where it gets weird. Um, It wasn't weird before. No. Um, What we know about Bielik from what he's told people is that he had completed his education in electronics after his time in the Navy. Mm -hmm. And that he was contracted out to various military contractors... Who just began telling him stuff. Sure. Why not? Because you know what government contractors do is they look at, um, you know, somebody highly trained in electronics and just tell them government secrets. I would. (laughs) (laughs) And they revealed to him that the U.S. military was actively involved in adapting alien tech and forwarding research on to various groups. And he was recruited then to this project called the Montauk Project. Montauk. Montauk. M-O-N-T-A-U-K. Montauk. And according to Bielik, his job was so important to the Montauk project that he was given access to the super secret network of high-speed trains that run under the United States. Oh. So this would allow him to work his normal job during business hours in California and then moonlight in Montauk for the government. And my baby takes a morning train. (laughs) Whole new meaning to that. And according to him, throughout the 1970s, he was the program director for the psychics who worked in Montauk. All right. Um, And according to Bielik, he got to go to Mars a few different times. Um, He went on several other trips where he took teams to a research station in 100,000 B.C. That they went to other planets to get canisters filled with light and dark energy. And they even traveled to the year 6037. For fun. Um, you know, I haven't read enough to know exactly what they were doing there, but that's where he went, according right. to himself. Um, <laughs> now, B like is saying all of this in 1990 and like on, right? right? He kept getting interviewed by people and someone asked him once like, well, why hasn't the government killed you? Like, if this is all true, the government would want to hide your secret. So why are you not dead? And... Um, he believes that the reason why is because they can't kill him because all of his time travel has time locked him 
and that he can die but cannot be killed. Okay. <laughs> I would suspect if you truly believe in conspiracy, the argument would be if the government doesn't want to kill you because the more he talks, the less credible all this seems. Well, what's interesting is that while his story does not follow the plot line of the 1984 film Philadelphia Experiment, it's pretty close, at least okay. the early parts. Because this story became a film in 1984 called The Philadelphia Experiment. And in that film, instead of just, like, going to Norfolk and back, they traveled through time. And so some folks suggested that perhaps um, Al has some problems. Um, He died in 2011 in Guadalajara, Mexico. He died at age 84. But according to Al before he died, his name wasn't really Al. That in reality, he was a man named Edward Cameron, son of a naval officer, and that he had been forcibly regressed back in time to that of a nine-month-old baby in California, where he was raised as Al Bielik by Arthur E. and Albertina Bielik. Okay. But this is the only other person who has ever come forward to suggest that something hinky happened on that ship. So... Everything about this comes from two people. Carl Allen, a.k.a. Carlos Allende, from right, writing in 1955, right. and Al Bielik. Now, a question can be, all right, so if, you know, um, do we have any evidence that anything was going on? Is it just, you know, Allende being kooky and making this stuff up? And the Navy has done some research. Good for them. Yeah. Um, Your tax dollars at work. Well, you know, I assume that they often have to deal with conspiracy theorists. Yes. (laughs) And according to the Navy, none of this could be true. None of it. Because guess where the USS Eldridge never docked? Um, I'm going to say Norfolk or Philadelphia. (laughs) Either. Either place. It's never been to either of them. It was in Bermuda. It was in Bermuda, you remember. I do, because um, of the triangle. Oh. Well, because as you were describing what the ship's purpose was, that's what they were doing. They were hunting for um, subs. Mm-hmm. And so the ship was commissioned on... De- oh, sorry, the fly. <laughs> on August 27th, <laughs> 1943, um, at the New York Navy Yard, and it was there... Through December 1943. So it was in New York at the alleged time. Um, New York is close to Philadelphia. Well, yeah. (laughs) Um, Actually, this is confusing. I'm reading what the Navy said. Now I'm finding a problem. So the Navy's research says... So it said that it was commissioned on 27 August at the New York Navy Yard through December 1943. And according to the ship's diary, after commissioning, it remained until 16 September when it sailed to Bermuda. So I'm wondering if there's just an error in the dating there. Could be. Um, From 18 September, the ship was in the vicinity of Bermuda, undergoing training and sea trials until 15 October when it left in a convoy for New York. And it was in New York on 18 October. So it remained in the harbor until 1 November when it be part of the escort for the convoy UGS-23. Um, and then basically it serves as a um, convoy ship, right? It is following other ships. Um, it did steam to Norfolk with four other ships in December, but wasn't there for very long. Um, the other problem is that the SS Andrew Furaseth was a civilian merchant ship that allegedly Carlos was on and saw this happen, um, wasn't in Philadelphia either. So it just wasn't there. Um, And the master of the Andrew Forseth categorically denied that he or his crew had observed any unusual event. They're on the take, you know. Well, and... Part of the confusion, too, is that the first death was allegedly in Norfolk at the time. So it wasn't in Philly. Dang it. (laughs) That it was in Norfolk at the time. It wasn't in Philadelphia. 
So the original story couldn't have been true. They could have seen it appear, but they couldn't have heard all the hum and all of that. And that they were like, it definitely was not in Philadelphia. Right. Um, And the Navy has interviewed the crew that was on the Eldridge. And they've had, um, in the 90s especially, many of them are no longer with us because Mm -hmm. they were of military age in 1943. Um, But they basically laughed the whole thing off. They're like, I don't, like, none of this happened. Right. And there are some other theories that perhaps they're still trying to cover something up. Um, So... There was a process that some ships were undergoing. Eldridge wasn't one of them, where they were testing, which is called like degaussing or degaussing, where basically they make themselves invisible to um, rockets, etc., sent by electromagnetic means. So right. they, you are magnetically invisible. Right. So if a person was looking out of a ship, they could see you, but the torpedoes can't. Right. So they were experimenting with that, which is a form of invisibility, just not one for the human eyeball. Um, And that's pretty effective and had worked. um, But the Eldridge wasn't one of those ships. Hmm. So it's an interesting story. Jessup, on his part, does not believe any of this ever happened. He thinks that, or thought, he's no longer with us, that Carl Allen was a disturbed gentleman who was suffering from a delusion or um, perhaps was consciously trying to run a hoax, Jessup himself believed that he was unwell. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Navy has come out and said, absolutely not. None of this happened. Um, But the story is interesting. It's one that still a lot of people believe that the government would just be wanting to hide the fact that they could make a ship invisible or that they could make a ship teleport. Right. Because that would be some, they could, that'd be some pretty cool tech. Yeah. I mean, there's always a lot to be said about government conspiracies. Um, as someone who studies government and politics for a living, I tend not to believe in government conspiracies because government is not subtle on its best of days. And um, it's often much like a steam calliope at a baseball game where you can see it coming a mile away. <laughs> um, and also there's a question, right, in these sorts of cover-ups, how many people would have to be in on it or silence? Now, as I noted, there is that argument that, hey, you know, you tell the big lie because then everyone will just believe all the little ones, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's his notion why they don't why they don't discourage this stuff is because maybe it is true, but it's so outlandish and crazy, no one believes it, right? And they just um, diminish the character of those who are telling the story. So we just assume that they're crazy to use that sort of language, or disturbed, or something along those lines. So. Well, I would suggest that Jessup was someone who was primed to believe these sorts of things. Right. And he very much did not believe that it happened. Um, And again, it it would be interesting that you could have an experiment at this level and only two people have ever mentioned it. And one of them admitted for at least a time that he had lied about it. Maybe they missed the memory um, revision, Ray. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also... A lot of current physicists who are trying to achieve this have said, like, oh, yeah, like, if we could do this in 1943, that would have been miraculous. Like, there's no way. We can't do it now. So the idea of trying to make a massive ship like that either disappear or become invisible is so outside of the realm of what is currently possible that we definitely couldn't have done it in 1943. But, of course, what Allende said in his letters was that we were able to do it because we stole Alien because tech. we had alien technology. Correct. And that that is why it was possible. I mean, that's why we can build pyramids now. My gosh, the pyramids were built by humans. Guided by alien technology. No, they were not. I am not going to do, I'm not going to be that crazy spiky-haired man. <laughs> I was like, aliens. No. Um, it's an interesting story, though. It's a fun story. Yes. If any of it were real, it would be really interesting. Al Belik's story is wild. Yeah. And some of the things that he said would come to pass have definitely not come to pass. Right. But some of them feel strangely ominous. <laughs> Western well, Western powers standing up to Russia and China sounds oddly ominous. Well, but saying that 1990 would have not been an exactly cuckoo position. 1990, Russia was still a power threat, sure. China was yet rising. 
Yeah. But he's saying by 20, 2005 is when the war happened that right. killed off most of humanity, which I'm glad to say has not happened. Right. But they um, also, you know, that's also a line out of Star Trek, mm-hmm. right? That's how we get the United Federation of the planets because we have a massive global war, right? Yep. And, I mean, he passed away in 2011, so we can't ask him. We can ask him with a Ouija board. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, if he's time-locked, I don't know how that works. I don't know. Can we if, just is break it the time? time-locked human? I don't know. Mm, we have a new dissertation subject. Interesting. Yes. But Bielik was um, at, like, conventions a lot. Um, you know, UFO, oh, time travel conventions. Star Trek conventions. I don't think so. Because um, he was adamant that his story was not fake. Right. Um, and there is, I, saw, I did see a website that... Basically, their whole their whole website is just trying to prove that Bielik could not have had anything to do with the Philadelphia experiment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of alleged. Oh, dang it, there are a lot of supposed experiments and projects here that are all kept under wraps. Right. So we've got the Montauk project, which I didn't have a lot of time to go back through because a lot of this stuff I found after right. our last podcast, so this is new information. Yes. So Montauk project, I might do. A little bit more digging into. Yeah. You could link it to Men in Black, of course, because that is very much a secret alien government conspiracy. Well, and I've also, the last few weeks, been watching X-Files, so all of this feels very much like, yeah, sure. With very good-looking David Duchovny back in the day. Who, poor guy, he is not up to the acting chops of one Jillian Anderson. Well, who is? Oh, she's amazing. Jane Judy, Judy Dench. Dame what? Dame Judy Dench is up to the acting chops of... Okay. Anyway. All right. But apparently I just did a quick Google and there's a lot on the alleged, gosh dang it, (laughs) on the Montauk Project. (laughs) I'm going to stop talking now. All right. Well, spooky listeners, while this may not have felt spooky as in ghosty, aliens do creep the heck out of people. Um, And they are in the realm of the paranormal. Yes. Outside of what we can currently explain through our science. If you see a pair of alien eyes poking through your window at night... That would probably cause you to poop your pants. So they are relatively spooky and appropriate. Look, I mean, there's a whole genre of horror film that is UFO alien related. Right. I don't prefer those personally, but there's a whole genre. Yes. So they definitely scare people. Yes. So spooky friends, we're going to let you go for today. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we go, we do have some thank yous. Yes. So we'd like to thank all of our patrons who have been so supportive and so helpful of us in keeping us in Diet to Mountain Dew. This includes the Ghost Whisperer, Ghost It, the Gypsy Queen, the Jet, the Captain, Creepy Crawl Space Girl, Apple Pie. Money Penny. Money Penny. Who else are we forgetting? Um, the philosophizer. The I never remember what he wants his name to be. Um, ghosted. Yeah. You said the jet. I did say the jet. Creepy small, crawl space girl money pain. Yeah, yeah, I think we've hit hit everybody. Yes. If not, our apologies. We yes. are elderly and our brains don't work. Elderly. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. If you're elderly, I'm now ancient because there's a <laughs> decade between us, lady. <laughs> Um, also, please make sure that as you listen to this, if you found this interesting and you want to hear more about whatever, let us know via our email account, which often sits lonely and unvisited, and our Facebook page, which we're trying very hard to keep active. Um, it's a little bit crazy right now as I'm preparing for a conference and we're in the middle of P&T reviews at the university, so there's lots of stuff Mid-terms going on. Midterms as well. Midterms, but uh, we will get some stuff posted. We'll get that ArcGIS map posted. We'll get the... Um, McIntyre Villa photos posted and we do try to provide interesting things along the way and as always if you do have requests this was a listener request I didn't know anything about this Um, I had not seen even the 84 movie so I knew nothing about it until I started doing research so if you do have requests we happily take those if you have stories you want to share so remember our email is phdparanormal all one word at gmail.com and we have a Facebook, which you can find by searching that same name, PhD Paranormal, all one word. And if you are interested in being supportive and giving our podcast a rating, that helps. Um, a lot. Yeah, it helps a lot of people find us. Yes. So you can rate us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, basically wherever you listen to your podcast. Yeah. Tell your friends. Yeah. Tell your friends. And share, share, share so that we can build up our listenership. All right. 
So until such a time as we see you next time. Stay spooky. Stay spooky. Bye. Bye. 